0: Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Aptalis Pharma, Inc., Gilead Sciences, Inc., and Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Today's program is a companion piece to our E-Cystic Fibrosis Review newsletter topic, New Therapies in Cystic Fibrosis Directed Toward the Basic Defect. Our guest today is that issue's author, Dr. Stephen Rowe from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. This activity has been developed for pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dieticians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. The accreditation and credit designation statements can be found at the end of this podcast. For additional information about accreditation, Hopkins policies and expiration dates, and to take the post test to receive credit online, please go to our website newsletter archive, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org, and click on the Volume 4, Issue 8 podcast link. Learning objectives for this audio program are that after participating in this activity, the participant will demonstrate the ability to describe how CFTR modulator therapy fits into the clinical armamentarium of CF lung disease determine which patients are most appropriate for CF modulator treatment, and describe current research efforts and how to identify patients suitable for referral for consideration in CFTR modulator clinical trials. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the Cystic Fibrosis Review. On the line we have with us Dr. Stephen Rowe, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary, Allergy, and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Dr. Rowe has indicated that he has received grants and or research support from Novartis, PTC Therapeutics, N30 Pharmaceuticals, and Vertex Pharmaceuticals. He has also indicated that in today's discussion, he will refer to the unlabeled or unapproved uses of Ivacaftor, Lumacaftor, Adalurin, N6022, VX661, and aminoglycosides. Dr. Rowe, welcome to this Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast.
1: Well, I'm glad to be with you and discuss this very exciting therapeutic area. I think it's a real example of the benefits of basic research and personalized approaches to medical care that are coming to fruition.
0: In your newsletter issue, Doctor, you reviewed some of the recent advances in therapies that directly address repairing dysfunctions in the CFTR gene. What I'd like to do today is translate how some of that new information can affect clinical practice. Uh, So if you would, Dr. Rowe, start us out by describing a patient.
1: Our first case is a 16-year-old CF patient who is heterozygous for the G551B and the F508-DEL CFTR mutations. He has moderate lung disease severity marked by an FEV1 of 60% predicted for age, and he chronically grows Pseudomonas aeruginosa. He has one to two CF pulmonary exacerbations per year, typically requiring courses of IV antibiotics with two-drug therapy. In the last five years, his disease has been complicated by CF-related diabetes mellitus, requiring subcutaneous insulin administered with meals. He had a history of allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis that is resolved, for which corticosteroids and itraconazole were once required. Medications include recombinant human DNAs, oral azithromycin, and intermittent inhaled tobermycin, insulin, and pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. He's been clinically stable for the last three months and complains of a chronic productive cough that is typical in both severity and character for this individual.
0: Uh, first question, doctor: This 16-year-old patient is he a candidate for Ivacaftor?
1: Well, I think this is a, an individual that certainly Ivacaftor should be considered. They meet the FDA indicated label as they harbor at least one copy of the G five five one D mutation, and they have lung disease severity that doesn't draw concerns. It's clearly within the indicated label. In addition, the patient is in the right age group to be considered and at their age six or over. So uh, given their relatively stable clinical status, I think this is a good candidate for consideration with this patient. Other things that ought to be considered include their concomitant medications. This patient isn't taking an inducer or inhibitor of CYP3A drugs, so this patient otherwise appears to be a good candidate. Let me ask you to clarify something first, doctor. In patients like this,
0: should Ivacaftor be considered a cure?
1: I think we want to be very careful about how we term these CFTR modulator therapies to our patients. I certainly wouldn't advocate the use of the term cure for this patient. While we think these CFTR modulator therapies are going to be very effective, and there's good evidence as reviewed by the Phase 3 study by Ramsey and colleagues present in the newsletter that these therapies are very effective. They shouldn't be considered a cure, and all other medications for CF right now should be continued although that should certainly be addressed on an individual basis.
0: Let's assume the patient you presented, he started on Ivacaftor. How would you monitor the effects of his therapy?
1: The therapy should be monitored similar to other routine therapies for CF. The patient needs to be seen regularly in CF clinic, and their clinical status will be monitored very similar to what is routinely done. Things that should be looked for to see if Ivacaftor is working for the individual are things that you would expect. That includes measurements of lung function by spirometry, their clinical symptoms, their cough severity and sputum production, weight gain. It's another very important objective measure that was seen to be increased in therapeutic trials with Ivacaftor and CF patients. Another thing to look for is a change in the overall exacerbation frequency. Each of these effects were observed in the Phase three trials, examining ivacaftor in both older patients, as in the study outlined by Ramsey and colleagues, as well as younger individuals. Another test that can be considered to monitor CF patients is the use of sweat chloride. There was a significant improvement in sweat chloride seen in all studies of G551D patients that were administered ivacaftor. And it's a very strong indicator of improved CFTR activity. However, there's a considerable debate on how this marker can be used in the clinic. These were reviewed also in the newsletter in two papers one by Dermowitz and colleagues published in Chest, and one by Sellinger and colleagues published in the journal Cystic Fibrosis, which present two different viewpoints on this issue. While almost all patients had improvement in sweat chloride in phase three testing, Not all patients that received Ivacaftor have had improvement in their lung function. So in that way, it can be an indicator of whether Ivacaftor is effective in modulating CFTR, but may not be a marker of clinical benefit.
0: What about potential adverse effects associated with Ivacaftor therapy? What should the clinician be on the lookout for?
1: Well, with all new medications, and this would certainly be one that's newly available to patients, Providers need to be cautious about the use of new medications, and this is certainly one instance where, on the whole, a relatively few number of patients have been tested with Ivacaftor. In phase three testing, again, as outlined in the newsletter, Ivacaftor was generally well-tolerated, and the side effects that had been reported were generally consistent with symptoms that patients with CF frequently experience, such as cough or changes in sputum, headache or sore throat, things that are associated with respiratory infections. Liver function tests should be monitored on Ivacaftor, and they're recommended every three months. And one should use caution if there's any change in the liver function test, particularly if they exceed five times the upper limit of normal. Another area that's of emerging interest is the effects of Ivacaftor and blood glucose instability. In this case, this patient has CF related diabetes and takes insulin therapy. There's emerging evidence that Ivacaftor can change the effects of insulin or augment insulin release. Those results are still very early, and we don't know the clinical implications of this yet, but certainly a recommendation of more intense glucose monitoring at the onset of ivacaftor therapy is warranted.
0: One final question on this patient, Dr. Rowe, and, and again, it's a point of clarification. Would you recommend that any of the other therapies this patient is on be stopped?
1: Decisions regarding other therapies should be made on an individual basis, but right now there's no evidence that other therapies should be stopped on a global basis, and those were not discontinued in the trials outlined in the newsletter and in those reported to date. Right now, we know that there's no evidence that Ivacaftor is going to reverse bronchiectasis and infection is still present. So therapies that are directed, such as antimicrobial therapy or anti-inflammatory therapy, should probably almost certainly be continued until more evidence regarding this emerges. We also don't expect changes in pancreatic function. Although we don't fully understand the beneficial effects of Ivacaftor and weight gain, there's no indication to stop pancreatic enzymes in patients of this sort.
0: Uh, Thank you for that case and that discussion, Dr. Rowe. Let me ask you now to bring us another patient, if you would, please.
1: This is a 32-year-old CF patient who's heterozygous for the G542X and the F508-DEL CFTR alleles. He's been doing well and is clinically stable at this visit. His baseline FEV1 is 75% predicted. Medications include recombinant human DNAs, hypertonic saline, and intermittent astreonam lysate for inhalation in addition to pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy and acid therapy. He reports intermittent cough that resembles his baseline symptoms.
0: Uh, Let me start out with the same initial question as before. Is this patient a candidate for ivacaftor?
1: This is not a patient that's a candidate for ivacaftor. Why? This patient doesn't have the G551D allele, and other studies, including that reviewed in the newsletter, have shown that ivacaftor is not effective against the F508-DEL allele.
0: So, this patient, as you said, is heterozygous for the G542X and F508 DEL mutations. What are the potential treatment options that can target those basic
1: CFTR defects,
0: and and what's their status in the research pipeline?
1: Well, this is a patient that harbors mutations that are still under therapeutic development. Let's cover them on an individual basis and start with the G542X allele. This is an example of a premature termination codon, or a PTC allele, also sometimes called a stop codon or an X mutation. And the most advanced therapy in the research pipeline that's looking at this is the agent Adalorin, or formerly called ptc 124 It's currently an investigational drug and recently completed phase three trials in CF. As you can read about more in the newsletter, Adalorin has had mixed results in clinical trials. In the most recent phase three study, The primary endpoint was not met, and there was no improvement in lung function in individuals assigned to receive Adaloran compared to those that received placebo. This conflicted somewhat with three previous Phase two studies, which had mixed results, two of which had shown efficacy in an open-label format and one which did not. So right now, it's uncertain where Adaloran stands in the therapeutic pipeline, and additional communication is ongoing between the sponsors and the regulatory authorities about what to do next. As with any trial, as much information is attempted to be gleaned on the results. And one interesting area that's been gleaned from this study is that the use of adalorin was partially inhibited by the use of the inhaled aminoglycoside tobramycin. So there's more to be learned regarding that antagonistic effect and whether the benefits of adalorin can be achieved when these inhaled aminoglycosides are not used. There are other therapies that are also in earlier stages in the pipeline, and that includes using aminoglycosides or synthetic diversions of aminoglycosides or research aminoglycosides, if you will, that are made more effective for read-through than their antimicrobial activities. And those are advancing through the pipeline and various research studies. There's also a number of investigators looking at other novel small molecules to try and advance to the clinic that could also be applicable to patients with TF. So we'll look for emerging information with that in the coming year.
0: Gentamicin or other aminoglycosides, can they be considered useful for treatment?
1: Right now, there's really no indication for the use of chronic genomycin or other aminoglycosides. There is evidence in the laboratory that they are effective, but they're really not suitable agents to use long-term alone. I mentioned just before that there are synthetic aminoglycosides that are not yet publicly available that are being researched to improve efficacy, but that is not the current standing of genomycin and other agents. So right now, certainly not the recommendation and the toxicity of genomycin and other aminoglycosides for chronic administration don't warrant the use for treatment for the basic defect.
0: What about agents that are active against the F508-DEL mutation? What can you tell us about their status?
1: Well, we mentioned in this case, this patient was heterozygous with the other allele being the F508-DEL CFTR allele. Of course, that's the most common allele that causes CF. There are a number of agents in the research therapeutic pipeline that are investigating this population. This includes corrector programs that are currently in development, and that includes the agent VX809 or Lumacaftor or VX661, both of which are being developed by Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Right now, there's clinical research studies that are currently enrolling for patients to receive lumacaftor and ivacaftor in combination if they have two copies of the F508del mutation. But there are other studies that are evaluating, in shorter phase two studies, the effect of these agents in patients with one copy of the F508del mutation. So this individual patient could be suitable for referral to a research center that's enrolling patients with one copy of the F508del mutation if they're clinically stable interested in research and of the right age category. As this individual is an adult, this would certainly be somebody that could be considered for such a study. There are also a number of other discovery programs that are underway. That includes discovery programs by N thirty pharmaceuticals who's looking at agents of patients with two copies of the F five O eight Dell mutation, and other companies that are evaluating CFTR corrector agents that does not yet reach patients, such as Genzyme, Pfizer, and other research companies. Another approach that could be considered for a patients with a wide variety of, of CFTR alleles would be gene therapy. Gene therapy is currently being pursued, for instance, in the UK Gene Therapy Consortium, and that would be applicable to a wide variety of CFTR alleles in the applicable population.
0: Let me present you with a hypothetical situation. This same patient, 32 years old, clinically stable, baseline FEV at 75%, what if this patient had a different CFTR allele, or something that conferred a more mild phenotype with partial CFTR activity that could be demonstrated by sweat chloride analysis? Uh, say the R117H allele. Uh, give us your thoughts, if you would, please.
1: Well, that would certainly enter the patient in a different category of disease. Mutations that confer partial activity are an emerging area of interest since it's been shown in the laboratory that ivacaftor can be active against a number of those mutation types. R117H is an example of one of those mutation types where Ivacaftor has been shown to be active, and there are currently Phase three clinical studies enrolling patients of this sort where the R117H mutation to determine whether Ivacaftor has long-term benefit in these individuals. There's also actively enrolling studies that are looking at patients with partially active CFTR alleles as conferred by a more mild clinical phenotype. One way to measure that, as you mentioned, is sweat chloride analysis, but another way to measure it would be pancreatic sufficiency. And there are studies currently ongoing that are looking at this patient population as well. So I think in the next few months or year, many of these studies will have results available that will help us give a more firm indication of which other patients that have partially active CFTR alleles and therefore may be candidates to receive Ivacaftor actually receive clinical benefit.
0: Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Stephen Rowe from the University of Alabama in just a moment.
2: Hello, I'm Megan Ramsey, nurse practitioner and clinical coordinator for adults at the Johns Hopkins Cystic Fibrosis Program at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I am one of the program directors of e Cystic Fibrosis Review. These podcast programs will be provided on a regular basis to enable you to receive additional current, concise, peer-reviewed information through podcasting, a medium that is gaining wide acceptance throughout the medical community. In fact, today, there are over 5,000 medical podcasts. To receive credit for this educational activity and to review Hopkins policies, please go to our website at www. eCysticFibrosisReview.org. This podcast is part of eCystic Fibrosis Review, a bi-monthly email delivered program available by subscribing. Each issue reviews a current literature on focused topics important to clinicians caring for patients with cystic fibrosis. Continuing education credit for each newsletter and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine for Physicians and by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing for Nurses. Subscription to E. Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge, and nearly a 1,000 of our colleagues have already become subscribers. The topic-focused literature reviews help them keep up to date on issues critical to maintaining the quality of care for their patients. For more information to register to receive E Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge and to access back issues, please go to www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org.
0: Welcome back to this E Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. I'm Bob Busker, managing editor of the program. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Rowe from the Division of Pulmonary, Allergy, and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And our topic is new therapies in cystic fibrosis directed toward the basic defect. We've been looking at how some of the new information Dr. Rowe reviewed in his newsletter issue can be applied in clinical practice. Uh, So to continue our discussion, let me ask you to bring us another patient, if you would, please, doctor.
1: Sure. This is a 26-year-old female with cystic fibrosis who is homozygous for the F508-DEL CFTR mutation and presents with progressively deteriorating course. While she was previously hospitalized once or twice annually for CF exacerbations, she's had three admissions for IV antibiotics in the last six months. And her baseline spirometry has also deteriorated from 55% predicted FEV1, while well to 35% following her most recent recovery. Presently, her FEV1 is 29% in clinic, and she's also had an additional three pounds of weight loss over the last six months, increasing respiratory symptoms, including a more frequent cough, worsening sputum production, and dyspnea. On exam, she has crackles, worse in the upper lung fields, and mild and expiratory wheezing. This patient sounds like she's in a lot of trouble. How would you assess her? Yeah, I agree. This is certainly an individual that's having a CF pulmonary exacerbation and a worsening overall course over the last six months. Many of us would characterize this patient as having a rapid progressive phenotype, an increasing recognized entity that warrants increased medical attention. Many times, this sort of patient is associated with an individual who's captured a new organism, such as a more pathogenic Pseudomonas or worse organism, such as Burkholderia sepatia. In other cases, patients have a rapidly progressive phenotype and the cause is unknown. This sort of case requires an aggressive diagnostic evaluation, including the assessment of laboratory tests, radiographic studies, sputum culture to try and identify new organisms, including atypical organisms such as mycobacteria species. Others would advocate bronchoscopy, and that would certainly be considered in patients who are not responding to initial empiric therapy, in which case a cause of new organisms remains suspected. This patient should certainly be considered for early referral to lung transplant center given their rapidly progressive phenotype and a reassessment of chronic therapies regarding adherence and whether there are side effects being experienced and whether more aggressive chronic therapy can be administered.
0: Now, the status of F508-DEL CFTR rescue in this patient, what can you tell us about that?
1: Well, this patient is homozygous for the F508-DEL, and there certainly are correctors in development This is not yet an approved strategy for this patient population. As we talked about in the first case and also outlined in the ECF review in a study by Flum and colleagues, ibocaptor monotherapies showed no benefit in this population. And as we also talked about, corrector therapy with one or two agent therapies is not yet approved for these patients. The patient would also not be a candidate for enrollment in clinical trials of this sort because of their rapidly progressive phenotype. Patients need to be clinically stable before referral can be considered. This is really an example of a patient who needs more aggressive clinical therapy rather than enrollment in studies with CFTR modulators that are in development.
0: As you said, this patient would not be a candidate for ongoing clinical trials. But what about compassionate use programs?
1: We certainly want to think about compassionate use programs for patients who are more severe, that are eligible for clinical studies and have the right genotype group as this patient does. Right now, there are no compassionate programs that are available for patients who are homozygous for the F508 del mutation, but depending results of emerging studies, I think that's certainly something that could evolve over time. So what I would recommend at this point is close monitoring of results as they emerge from clinical studies. You can also pay attention to resources such as clinicaltrials.gov to look for opening of open-label compassionate use programs.
0: Well, thank you for today's cases and discussion, Dr. Rowe. I'd like to ask you to look into the future for us now, if you would. New therapeutic options for addressing the basic defect in cystic fibrosis. What advances do you expect?
1: I think we're likely to see continued advances in the area of protein repair. And it's likely that new combination approaches to maximize the rescue of CFTR will become a part of the therapeutic approach. For example, patients' heterozygous for f 5 del and a premature termination codon may take a CFTR corrector an agent that to induce translational read-through, such as we discussed for aminoglycosides or ataloran, and a CFTR potentiator, all in combination to result in a maximal benefit. Looking even beyond that, since we're learning that F508-DEL CFTR has multiple checkpoints, we also are likely to see multiple agents directing towards that individual CFTR mutation, one or more agents to actually increase its expression to the cell surface, followed by the addition of a CFTR potentiator to maximally activate that channel. So what I think we're looking for in the future is personalized approaches taken on an individual basis based on the presence of their CFTR mutations and using multiple agents together to maximize the benefit for CFTR activity. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, Dr.
0: Rowe. Uh, To wrap things up, I'd like to summarize what we've discussed today in light of our learning objectives. Uh, So to begin, describing how CFTR modulator therapy fits into the clinical armamentarium for treating CF lung disease.
1: Well, I hope you understand that while the clinical availability of CFTR modulators is presently limited to a single agent directed towards a single CFTR mutation, and in this case referring to Ivacaftor for patients with a G551D mutation, there's good reason to believe additional studies could successfully determine that this approach will work for a wider variety of CFTR mutations and those patients who harbor them. Further, because we do not expect this agent to reverse lung injury, and they do not return CFTR function to normal levels, existing therapies will be needed to maintain optimal health for patients requiring CFTR modulators.
0: And our second objective, determining which patients would be most appropriate for CF modulator treatment.
1: Well, this will remain a personalized approach based on each individual patient, their genetic mutations, and their age and severity of disease. Key features include whether their CFTR mutation is localized to the cell surface, a premature termination codon, and whether the patient is with one or more copies of the F508-DEL CFTR mutation. Key lung function cutoffs are often an FEV1 of 40% predicted for many clinical research studies.
0: Uh, And finally, identifying patients suitable for referral for consideration in CFTR modulator clinical trials.
1: Well, we expect this topic to be both busy and dynamic, with changes on a regular basis based on the emergence of new agents, new populations to test current treatments, such as younger ages, different levels of lung function, or the presence of different CFTR mutations. A few places to monitor for these changes will be clinicaltrials.gov, the website from the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and information from clinical research networks, such as the Therapeutics Development Network or the Clinical Trials Network in Europe.
0: Dr. Stephen Rowe from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review
1: podcast. Well, I'm happy to be with you and discuss this exciting area.
0: This podcast is presented in conjunction with E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, a peer-reviewed, CME and cne accredited literature review emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education to physicians. For physicians, the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this educational activity for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should only claim credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in the activity. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hours. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eCystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.eCysticFibrosisReview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine name implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information of specific drugs, combination of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indications, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. Thank you for listening. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by an educational grant from Aptalis Pharma, Inc., Gilead Sciences, Inc., and Vertex Pharmaceuticals. This program is copyrighted with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine.